we got to move to part two. Part two is going to be fun, okay? This has been healthy and wholesome, it's but gonna part be, two is going to be fun. It's going to be huge. Huge. <laughs> Real gasser. <laughs> In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled. Welcome back to the Code of Man podcast and part two of our interview with chaplain, pastor, PIO, all-around expert on things religious and political, Graham Glover. Christ lives in the heart of a champion. That's right. So let's I, do the... Oh, yeah, go ahead. He, he was sitting on something. Well, I'm, I'm sitting on something. I... Obviously, this is a podcast, so we don't have a video thing going, but we, we are looking at you through your, your webcam, and behind you looks like a wealth of knowledge. So is there is there He's any... He's got a picture of me back there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my land. See, see what I'm talking about? About interrupting? I can't get, I can't get a sentence out. Like, yeah, so is there anything behind you, any books uh, that relates to the current topic we're talking about that you would suggest? Wow. Not to put um, you on the spot or anything. I, that might just be a Zoom backdrop or something. I don't know. But No, that's, th- th- those are real. I, um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, you know, is I don't know that I could say that there's a, hey, I would look to this book or to this story uh, as one, I, I, I think, as we've been discussing. I mean, it, so, you know, the books behind me are, are theology, mm-hmm. their history, their political science, their sociology, philosophy. I think what has helped ground me and has helped me on my journey is first and foremost, always drawing from the word of God uh, and my faith tradition as a Lutheran pastor, certainly uh, a lot of Luther, right? Uh, a lot of the early church fathers as well. But I would also say, you know, there's uh, books on our founding fathers behind me. Uh, there's books on, you know, uh, past and contemporary politicians behind me on philosophers from Plato, you know, through today. So I, I think for me, I like to be grounded kind of in, in many different areas to help me make sense of my uh, many loves and passions of life uh, as I move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's a non-answer to your question. uh, (laughs) But, but I think I at least tangentially touched on it. Absolutely. Well, that I think that was a great first question to part two, because oh, it's really part two is let's grill Graham. It's grill Graham time. Oh. So we we've, oh. we've got Grambo. Was, was that fake Graham that we just had? <laughs> <laughs> well, no gri- grill. grill, 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 grill. We're lighting the grill oh, and grill. we're we're yeah, throwing okay, a Grambo on all there. Right. Okay, so let's get political. All right. Oh boy, let's do it. So Graham, you've got a degree in political science and government. You're working on your PhD. In yep. same said topics, and I know you said earlier, it's it's a passion of yours, and uh, it's something you've invested a lot into. And I've always found you to be a great source to talk that topic with. So again, I, we've talked 
the things of God and the Word of God over the years, and then we've talked government and politics over the years. I remember you told me one time that you believed if the Democrat Party would adopt a pro-life stance, that they would dominate U.S. politics. Do you still believe that, and why? 100%. Look, uh, I, I mean, I, I am part of a dying, maybe dead, right, political breed out there, right, of your old kind of Southern conservative Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like my grandpa was. My grandfather. Yeah. yeah. There aren't, you know, most of them uh, started abandoning ship during the Reagan revolution and probably came to full term when uh, in 94, when Gingrich was elected as Speaker of the House. But yeah, I, I, I think the single biggest obstacle to the Democratic Party being a supermajority is its commitment, complete commitment to the pro-choice, pro-abortion policies uh, that have taken over that party over the last 40 years. Look, I, I am I am with the Democratic Party when it comes to taxes, when it comes to spending. I believe in that we should have uh, health care for every citizen of this country. I'm generally with them on foreign policy and the environment and education. I mean, do a laundry list. Uh, but where the Democratic Party utterly fails is in its inability to even let pro-lifers come to the table. Look, the Republican Party has a pro-life platform, but there are pro-choice Republicans out there. If the Democratic Party would say, "Hey, we're not going to abandon pro-lifers," man, I, I, I think they would. I think they win everything because I think there are a lot of people out there who that the issue of life is so very important, right, and speaks so much to how they understand humanity and who they are, that when you start with the premise that abortion should be legal at all times and all places with no restrictions and no desire to limit it, that's problematic. I would simply say, let's get back to the Clinton era policy of making, and I, I don't I, I don't want abortions to happen, but Bill Clinton would say he wants abortions to be safe, legal, and rare. No Democrat could even say that today. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's a travesty because, you know, why would you not love life? Uh, and I would say, you know, hey, I want to give insurance to the mom and to the child, give chi- you know, child care to the mom. I want to ensure that mom has a job. But I, I'm befuddled by that. Um, but maybe I'm just nostalgic, or not. I, you know, maybe I'm just being idealistic to think that would ever change. Uh, but because yeah, if I'm not mistaken, like JFK, for example, I mean, when you talk about Democratic Party and even conservative, maybe even, and that might be a strong word, but I don't think the pro-life, pro-choice was even a discussion when he was in office. I mean, Clinton, Clinton used to be pro-life. Al Gore was pro-life, right, until they ran for national office. I mean, even even President Biden, you know, at least would be, uh, you know, pushed back on, on the or, you know, would support the Hyde Amendment, which his current budget, you know, would now allow federal dollars to go toward abortion services. That was kind of always the, the, the deal that would be made. Hey, we're not going to put federal dollars here, but it's... Uh, Sadly, they, they have they have sold their soul on this issue, but 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 there is a silent majority within the party that will continue to fight for it. Not to to hog the mic here, fellas, but had not this been an issue, I would have voted on on that side because thinking of for somebody who works in the around the environment and um, environmental health and safety, it looking into that and doing my research and it's amazing how far. The Republican Party, for example, 
has changed their views, or a lot of people who identify as Republican, has changed their views with the environment from when the EPA started with Nixon and everything, how conservatives, or excuse me, Republicans were big on the environment. Now it seems like the Democratic Party is the one who's carrying the environmental banner. So I would would agree with that statement. The abortion issue, that's one of the big things that was, was keeping me from that. I think it is a it is a strong enough issue that prevents a number of people from voting for Democratic candidates. That being said, I would push back to you know my Republican friends and say, "Hey, I'm with you on the issue, but you want to sit here and beat up Democrats, but tell me what you've done to stop abortions over the last since Roe v. Wade, right? I mean, we can look at statistics, and I'll tell you that every time you have a Democrat administration, there are less abortions that occur than when you have a Republican administration." And I would attribute it to because more dollars are going to social funding to help out families and children. So, I mean, like there's hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle, but the the problem is when you just simply cannot stand up and say, I love life, I love children, and I want to help and support them. That's a roadblock that is hard for many to overcome. Which seems like it should be a uniter, a uniting principle. one, One would think, yeah. I mean, look, we can have what you think tax policy should be or insurance or, you know, but as human beings, I don't know how we've become so divisive on this issue. I guess my question then, because one of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, I I think the three of us would typically fall more under the traditional Republican swing of things, but yet there there is a growing discontent with where we find ourselves at. You know, again, the issue of life is is such a, a major thing. But then there's so much other stuff in in our party that's like, man, this is we are emphasizing ridiculous stuff and we're kind of sticking our chest out like we're the right ones and the heralds of truth. And I think there's a lot of people that have traditionally identified as Republicans that are they're caught in the middle. It's like, okay, because this pro-life is such a that's the big deciding factor there's not an there's in other words maybe we don't see there being another option so uh, someone from from your seat what kind of counsel would you give like where is the other option or, or what is something reasonable you know to do yeah well i mean well, if I had the answer to that question, right, uh, we, we, we wouldn't be just doing a podcast. We'd be in D.C. and on all that the national exciting. networks. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think there's a growing desire for something more than what we have. I don't know how we get beyond the two-party system. I would say I am very much interested in having a strong conservative party, even when that party disagrees with me. And I, I don't want to open up too much of Pandora's box here or can of worms, but, you know, I mean, we're, we're there, so why not go there? I the Democratic Party will not, you know, their their problem is the life issue. The Republican Party simply has to purge itself, I think, this is my opinion, of its of our former president. When it does that, then you have a good conservative voice out there. But uh, our former president was not and is not a conservative, and he, he played he played to the conservatives and he riled up the base and he knew what to say. That man is not a reflection of of, of conservative values. He said or that man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say that, that was, now because he's was no a, longer my boss. Yeah, there was a lot in that. Uh, there was a lot in that phrase. That man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. 
Democrats capitulate on the life issue because they have to. Republicans capitulate on the Trump issue because they have to, mm -hmm. for their political survival, that is, right? And so politicians, like, you know, they get in power, they want to maintain that power, they want to keep their office. And so they have to sometimes take calculated risks. And I just wish there would be others more who would say, you know what, I'm going to do what's best for country. I mean, take somebody like Liz Cheney. I mean, my goodness, is there not a more conservative member of the Republican Party than Congresswoman Cheney? I mean, mm -hmm. she is conservative, like, on 98% of the issues. Yeah. And because she spoke out against the former president, she's now ostracized. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how we've gotten to this point. I mean, she, like, she is right, right, not correct. <laughs> I mean, she, she's conservative on everything, right? Yeah. But she's an anti-Trumper, so now she's, you know, persona non grata. I'm like, folks, we, we, we got to get over this. Uh, our, our politics are not about one person, and our hope certainly does not rise, rest in the success of one person or one party. And, and I think that has that's become a a, a problem for for both sides. I, Mike, I think we've we've talked about this before. In, in my lifetime, the two biggest successes of politics, I think, first occurred when President Ronald Reagan and Speaker Tip O'Neill were in power. The second when President Bill Clinton and Speaker Newt Gingrich were in power. Mm -hmm. Because those two different pairings represented two different parties, had two different emphases, two different ideological bases, but understood that politics is the art of compromise, right? And this is where we have to make our distinction between politics and theology, between government and faith. There's not gonna be a whole lot of compromise on my faith, right? right? really none. But politics is not an all, it's, it's not an all or nothing. It's not a zero sum game, right? I mean, if, you know, right now in the infrastructure bill, right, both parties are coming together, they're both going to have to give to get something done. But people have come approach politics now with, if you're not 100% with me, then you're wrong and you're mm -hmm. evil and I don't want mm -hmm. to be, opposed. I mean, if both sides are unhappy, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, but that sounds so much uh, like the way we do our religion and church these days. You know, if you're not 100% with me, you are 100% against me, and we are enemies. And I don't mean that the yeah, way that's... you just described it. Let me be clear. In fact, let me let me take a moment and explain why or how that does work. So Graham and I, you know, he, he's Lutheran. I'm Baptist. We meet up. We're serving together. We deploy together. And I was reflecting back on this. I think it was actually at the National Training Center out in uh, – Fort Irwin, California, and we were sitting around the tent one day, and we were discussing this because I think we were planning, how are we going to do chapel services for the guys while we're here at the training center, and then how will we do chapel services for our guys when we're deployed? And you and I were talking, and you said to me something to this effect. You said, look, Mike, I love you. I can fellowship with you. We're brothers in the Lord, but when it comes to doing church, I can't do a combined worship with you. And that's just me paraphrasing the way you said that. But I get that, and I think what that shows, it was a very helpful discussion, and it paved the way for me to understand how it's not only possible, but it's actually healthy and good for us to unite in Jesus, but still feel free to hold on to our distinctives. Uh, absolutely, right. I mean, look, I mean, we, we could, you want to get things riled up? I mean, let's talk about how our respective churches understand holy baptism. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how we understand holy communion. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, I mean, any uh, what what worship is. I mean, we're going to have some pretty profound disagreements on that. And so for, you know, as a Missouri Synod pastor, this is why, you know, 
I, I would never invite you to preach in my pulpit, not because I don't think you're going to not preach Christ and him crucified, but worship is a reflection or an indication to others that, hey, we are united in what we believe. And at the end of the day, I'm confident that Mike, you and I, and, and my new friends here, that we will rest comfortably in the Lord. And when he returns, that we will rejoice for eternity in this new heaven and this new earth. Uh, but on this side of eternity, we have some pretty profound disagreements on you know, how we live that life out. And so we, we unite when we can, um, but at least for me, when it comes to worship, that's a point where, hey, we, we're, we're gonna do this uh, at least separately uh, here, here on Sunday because we gotta be honest with ourselves and with our members and our churches on, on, on what we believe, teach, and confess. Uh, and that's such a healthy discussion to have. I hope all of our 21 listeners get this because I want them to grow in their faith with that understanding that it is good and right to be who you are. I go back to what Jesus said to his sons of thunder there when they said, Lord, we saw one preaching in your name, but he doesn't walk with our group, and we told him to stop. And Jesus said, don't do that. He that is not against me is, is for me. You know, and, and he just taught a very valuable lesson that he might not walk in our little circle, but if he's preaching me and he's he's trying to bring others to me, don't get in his way. And I know there's got to be something in the world you're coming from being very intertwined with ministry and politics, and that's been your path. There's got to be a way to bring some some sense to, uh, to that, uh, well, to both sides of that aisle. But I was going to go back to my question, favorite leader, and, and then uh, and then after I ask this question, if you guys got any rapid fire, pew, 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 you want to, sh- you want to shoot out, we can do that right quick. But, okay. Stop sil- stealing my sound effects, dude. Actually, that's my sound effect. No, yours is gobble, gobble. Nah, he, nah he, he's, he's got, he's he's got, got my back pew, on pew, this pew, one. Pew, pew. That was a Starbucks uh, uh, drive through thing. He shot uh. the barista at Starbucks with a little stormtrooper that Benjamin had yeah. left in the car. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Anyway, so my question is... <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> favorite leader, then. Yeah, favorite leader. Now, you're coming from a, again, you're coming from the faith, ministry, and the government politics. Favorite leader, current and or former. Hey, so I'm just going to, you know, we, we, we've been blowing things up here today, right? So, you know, let me just, let me throw a wild card out there. Michael Jackson. One of my favorite leaders in my lifetime has been the now, I guess we would call him retired, Pope Benedict XVI. All right. Way to start um, the pot. I hear you. Right? I know. So, you know, talk about a man, you know, who in many respects I would say is preaching heresy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benedict was from Germany. I always liked him because he understood Luther, I think, better than any Roman Catholic pope since the time of the Reformation. But he was an academic, he was a scholar, wrote prolifically against the negative consequences of relativism on our culture and in the world. Uh, I think had a healthy understanding for how the church can work in culture and in society, even in this postmodern relativistic age. Uh, but Benedict was never afraid to, to, to mix it up in the arena, never afraid to call uh, truth what it is and I like so much about how he was you know a strong scholar and one who could uh, kind of weave back and forth between the world of of government and politics and 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 the church um, and 
Yeah, his, his writings are profound on, on these issues. And so, you know, for a Lutheran pastor to call out a Roman Catholic Pope, man, uh, that, that's that, that's got to be odd on a Baptist podcast, right? Um, <laughs> it's never been done before. Only here, folks. I like that answer. Yeah. What I'm hearing is if we all keep having this conversation very long, Graham's not going to be able to be a Lutheran anymore. Our Baptist brethren are going to kick us out. I mean, we're all just we're going to lose we're anomalies. Here. We're going to lose our 21 <laughs> listeners. We will become that that uh, third party. There we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But, you know, as I reflect on that, I, I think more and more, and maybe what this conversation even today is indicating is, I, I think people are just tired of the labels and tired of the uh, of the commitments to that you have to be one or the other. Um, and, and I just, I wish there was a way for it not have to be one or the other, because I am a registered Democrat, but I, you know, I, I'm not a really good one. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I'd say the same if I was a Republican. So, you know, like, well, I don't even know what a Republican is anymore, yeah. right? I think people are just kind of exhausted with this. And I think what, what this country needs is just an ability to get back to, you know, just common sense, pragmatic politics. And, you know, you need you need two voices or multiple voices, uh, but also just a realization that you're not always going to win in politics. And you know what? That's okay. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, it's okay especially on this podcast, because look, I, I love my country, but let's be honest, if the United States ceased to exist, I would die for my country, but if our country ceased to exist tomorrow, you know what? That's all right, because I know Christ and him crucified, yeah. right? Yeah. I love that we live in a free country, but you know what? If tomorrow the government took away all of my rights to f freely practice my faith, that's okay, uh, because Let's be honest, for the first three centuries of the church, it was illegal to be a Christian, right? You would be crucified to say that you believe in Jesus as Lord. Um, so I, I want to be free, but if I'm not, oh, okay, you know, yeah. I'm still going to be a Christian. Excellent. Excellent answer. So one of the things that, that I know a lot of us try to put into practice, especially over the last election cycle, was kind of a disconnect from the political arena because it, we just noticed that it was becoming so soul-taxing. I mean, it was just, man, I didn't like the negativity that I felt myself getting drawn into. But yet there is the, we do have the responsibility of being involved as citizens. How do you find that you're able to, to be as involved as you are yet not get sucked into the, the black hole of this just negative hatred that that is out there to where you find that it is taxing on yourself individually like how, how do you walk that line well it, it, it is taxing and it does get frustrating right i would say that you know as christian men it is important for your pastors right for you guys and your leaders to talk about issues with your parishioners but I hope that when, and I, I'm pretty sure this is the case, right? When you go to church on Sunday or midweek, if you're doing something else, you don't go to church to hear how to vote. You don't go to church to hear who is the right politician who's going to save us. You go to church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know we didn't get into it, and you know maybe Mike will have to come back in a couple of months and return to it. But you know the church is not about the kingdom of this world. It's not about leaders and those in power. It is about Christ and him crucified uh, and, and risen from the dead. And so 
that's what the, the church has to keep its mission about the gospel. And it's so easy for the church to get caught up in worldly affairs and want to think that, you know, these things are, are important. And, and look, they are, but they're important for a short time. What's important is the salvation of souls and the comfort that our Lord brings. And so I think when you keep the church as the church uh, and you keep its focus on the mission of proclaiming Jesus, well, then I think you find comfort, right? And, and you can kind of, you know, walk away from this stuff um, and not get brought down by it. But don't kid yourself. I, I struggle daily with this stuff, right? Because I'm so <laughs> immersed in it and, and dealing with it. Okay, so Graham Glover, soon to be Dr. Graham Glover, a couple more years. When does the first book come out? Mm. You'll have to like do like a jacket cover, you know, like endorsement of it or maybe oh, interview. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I'm even I've even got a working title. I just haven't completed it yet for you. <laughs> Since it's gonna be the dual ministry politics thing, it's gonna be the art of the compromise in the trenches of the unmoved. Mm. That's a mouthful. Well, yeah, yeah, something you, like that. Why'd you say it like you're reading a, a movie? Uh, trailer or because something. I'm <laughs> because I'm getting ready to do a promo. One man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the first book is coming out sometime this decade. <laughs> there you go. All right, that's fair easy enough. since we're only one year into it. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to know. You you are a subject matter expert on a number of things. We know that we have we have laid it out here. But there's one topic you have not discussed and we have not asked you about for which you are the resident subject matter expert, and I need to know and they want to know. As alumna and current participant at University of Florida, how is Tim Tebow going to do at Jacksonville? That is a great question. If it were any other man of his age trying to come back into football at this point, I'd say you have no hope, but I don't know if you've seen some pictures of him out there. That that dude has been hitting the gym, right? I, I, I wish, I wish Tebow would have done this at the outset. I think yeah. he would have been a good fullback or tight end, you know, from the beginning. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. He's, he, he's, he's, I mean, he's not old in earthly years, but in NFL years, he, he's, he's, he's no spring chicken. Hmm. To be determined. Yeah, I, I just don't know yet, Mike. You're in his I, I'd corner, like to though. I think it could work, but I'm 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 not overly optimistic. But you're in yeah. his corner. Of we, course, we can right? tell. I mean, he's yeah. a he's a fellow Gator, and uh, the Gators stick together. That's those right. those That's that right. chomp together stay together. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so maybe you know maybe Tebow's just doing what you've described in the earlier uh, part of these this podcast discussion. Just kind of following, following his heart, letting God lead him, listening to the counsel of others, and uh, living the dream. Got getting his shoulder tapped by the Lord every now and then. Said, "Okay, go over here. Maybe That's we right. get, maybe That's we right. get him on here and just ask him ourselves. To, uh, maybe you can work that out for us. Mm, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, here's how we wrap things up on the Code of Man podcast. Uh, we have our signature sign offs, and uh, then we we always let our guest kind of come up with their own sign off. And what we'll do is I'll go first, and uh, then old Roland Napoleon, he'll follow me, and then we'll squeeze you in right before our sound guy there, the old AP, the ET, uh, takes us off the air. So uh, be prepared, be ready, however you want to sign off is fine, 
before we do that, do you have a question for us? No pressure. No is a fine answer. When, when, when can I come back? This oh, has been fun. That's a good question. Well, we, we, you did just scrape the topic a little bit of that Christian nationalism, which we mm. just did an episode on a little just a week or two ago. So we definitely got to bring you back to talk about that. Let's see, midterm elections are coming up, right? So, uh, you know, in a year. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, was, was that your polite way of saying, Graham, we'll, we'll have you back next summer? Actually, that was my. Uh, that was his revealing that he's been disconnected with politics. Yeah, I yeah. just heard somebody <laughs> use that phrase the other day, so I thought I'd throw it in there. But anyway. I think they were talking about their college semester. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, yes, we're definitely going <laughs> to get you back if you're willing. And uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to send you a special little gift in the mail to show our appreciation for you being here today. It is a, uh, it's a Polaroid of the three of us, all signed, <laughs> and uh, it'll be coming. Yeah. So be watching for yeah. that. Stay classy. <laughs> <laughs> Stay gold. <laughs> right. Pony boy. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Graham, for being with us, being our guest today. You've been the best guest this week and uh, <laughs> ranking right up there. Yeah. But we, we have enjoyed it. It's been very helpful, and I'm excited about uh, the guys that are part of our little world here getting to listen to this discussion. And so I think that's a wrap. Until next time, this is Mike Overtrek Barnett saying to all of you, happy trails. And this is Rowan Napoleon, and you are welcome. <laughs> and this is Graham Glover from the Gator Nation telling you that we are everywhere and the Gators will come chomping for you this fall. And this is Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Have a great week. See you next time. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are the heart of a champion.